Welcome to the Pactum. This is Mike Grimes here with Pat Abendroth, and this is episode 149 here of the Pactum from our Posh Pactum studio. And today on our episode, we're going to be talking about the incarnation. And we're talking about the incarnation because we're doing a series. This starts a new series called Gospel Doctrines. We thought it'd be a good idea to know what the gospel is. That sounds like a good idea. Right? Uh, first importance, First Corinthians 15. So we want to talk about key doctrines that if we that we have to have in order to have the gospel. So life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But since it is December it when is. we're recording this, that's right. We thought maybe we should include something on the incarnation. Hey, because you know we like Christmas. Christmas is fantastic. It's, it's it's important that we do this. So and we wouldn't have the gospel if we didn't have the incarnation. Right. So we are in the Christmas spirit here. We are around listeners in the Christmas spirit. Around if you're here. listening in maybe May, June, July, it's okay. Merry Christmas. That's right. I'm sure there's probably a Christmas special on the Hallmark Channel somewhere you and could watch. It, oh, no. Stop. <laughs> and if you're not a Christmassy kind of person, uh, it's okay. May the Lord bless you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we are, in fact, trying to get in the Christmas spirit around here. Uh, Christmas music, all the planning, all the festivities. Uh, Mike, favorite Christmas song? Christmas Shoes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Do you know that song? I don't know what that is. (laughs) For our listeners who've heard that one, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, I really, one of my all-time favorites is just the classic Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Okay. There's a good theology in there. It's one of my favorites. And the fun fact about that one, uh, my oldest daughter, for the longest time when she was younger, thought the title of the song was Sonner. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Sonner. Sonner. Yeah. The Sonner song. That is songs. one of my favorites, though. I like that. Yeah. What about you? A uh, little drummer boy duet with David Bowie and Bing Crosby from like 1977. Hey. So kind of cool. That's good. What ruined it for me is I was just pulling it up today to listen to it. And then what popped up was like a Saturday Night Live version or oh, something bummer. with Will Ferrell. And, yeah. Uh, like, no, no, thanks. That's a bummer. No, thanks. Well, since we're in the Christmas spirit, before we talk about the incarnation, and there's lots to talk about, uh, Mike, I feel very giving. Yes, do you? And, uh, just feeling that giving okay. spirit. So we are doing a special. So if you want to buy a copy of Covenant Theology, uh, if you want to buy a box of 10 or more, 10 bucks a copy, not fifteen ninety nine. And uh, hey. I, went, I went to public school, but I think that's pretty di- That's pretty a good discount. discount there. So if you want to email us, you want a box of 10 or more, because we're trying to get the word out. We want you to give copies away for yeah, Christmas. For sure. All that kind of stuff. Feel free to reach out, send yeah. us an email, and yeah. we'll get it shipped to you. For sure. Email us, connect at thepactum.org, and we can hook you up with 10 or more copies for $10 each of Covenant Theology. Because we know the author. Yeah. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Incarnation, we've got, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 questions. We'll see how we do on these things. Yeah. And if you're listening and you're looking for something to entertain yourself, you know, you find yourself thinking of yourself as theologically astute, mm. what you can do is you can listen to the question. Push pause. Do they have pause still? Yeah, I push pause. I think pause. so. You can tell Siri to stop or you something. You know what? You can answer it yourself. Answer. Who knows? Maybe you do a much better job than we do. It's highly possible. Or maybe not. Uh, yeah. So let's play the game. Let's play the game. We're going to talk about incarnation here on this beginning of a little series, Gospel Doctrines. And we're going to begin with the question, what is so amazing about understanding Christology truly? See, you're just like I – you're thinking like I think because – I wrote the script. You wrote the script. 
I want to start with motivation, right? I want yeah, people yeah, to be yeah. motivated. Yeah. Why in the world would this be so important that we get Christology right? We, we're understanding it better. And it reminds me of what happens in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus says, you know, who do people, people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Peter gets the answer right when he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Hmm. Supernatural, special revelation to truly understand who Jesus is is to be blessed by God. Yeah. You didn't come to this conclusion on your own. You needed special revelation from God, and I think that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. It'd be worth understanding these things uh, truly Tur- and rightly. Turton says, this mystery regarding the incarnation, this mystery is unascertainable. Ooh, don't think I've ever said that word before I, in my I life, but so, I, yeah. love, I like it. This, this mystery is unascertainable by reason uh, and is known only by the aid of revelation. Hmm. Very cool. Yep. We're going to quote Turton a fair amount today. A fair amount. We're relying on some of the old dudes. The old guys. And we will make some recommendations to you, but a lot of Turton, some Burkoff, some others you'll hear us quoting today because you know what? A lot of mistakes that can be made. Yes. We sure. might even make a mistake or two, but we, we are learning and growing and trying to not make as many mistakes as we would have otherwise. That's right. And we want to help you not make mistakes. That's right. That's what we're here for. So uh, speaking of the incarnation then. What, generally speaking, is the incarnation? What well, are we talking about? Let's let's start with Latin and think incarne, right? In, incarn, in the in the flesh. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Yeah. In the flesh. In the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, mm-hmm. the entry for incarnation says this. The act whereby the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, with out ceasing to be what he is, God the Son took into union with himself what he before that act did not possess a human nature. Hmm. And then the entry goes on and now it, it continues on quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith. It goes on by saying, and so he was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Hmm. Yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole lot going on there. There is a lot going on there, for sure. There's a <laughs> lot in that uh, definition. The incarnation. We have the eternal son adding humanity, if you will, becoming a human being without ever ceasing to be God. We'll dig in more, but just to get us started, I think that's a good kind of general explanation. Yeah, for sure. So why did the incarnation happen then? <laughs> well, I think I want to start with the fact that the incarnation happened because ready, ready for this, I'm ready for it, because of the pactum. <laughs> we always laugh when we say that. Yes, we Be- do. not the pactum podcast, not the pactum podcast, no. the pactum, the pactum salutis, the covenant of redemption, uh, the intra trinitarian agreement, all of those great things. Yeah. Uh, why would Jesus come and be born into this world? Uh, why would the eternal Son become one of us, uh, enter into the human race? Well, it's because of the divine decree. Uh, as I'm preaching through Second Timothy, it's fresh in my mind. Second Timothy chapter one verse nine says, "Because of His own, pr- it happened. He saved us because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, hmm. and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, 
Christ Jesus. Mm. Goes on to yeah. talk about great things, abolishing death and all that. But it's because of the purpose, the divine purpose. It's because of the divine divine decree. All of it happened because it was supposed to happen. Right. Purpose and, and plan. Yep. And we could also add to that, we have the incarnation because... We need salvation. We need salvation from sin, which is what the Son is sent to do. He's sent to save us. Matthew chapter 1, uh, that great Christmas text, if you will, incarnation sure. text, virgin conception text. You know, uh, Mary is uh, going to give birth. She conceived in her, excuse me, it says conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's Matthew one twenty, And then it says in one twenty one, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Punchline. For he will save his people from their sins. So he's on a rescue rescue mission, on a mission to save sinners. That's why we have the incarnation. Yeah. But don't take our word for it and yeah. our use of scripture, even though we think we're doing it right. How about a little Burkhoff? A little Burkhoff. Burkhoff says, in virtue of the legal or representative union established in the covenant of redemption, Christ <sighs> became incarnate as a substitute for his people to merit all the blessings of salvation for them. So even Burkhoff there alluding to that covenant of redemption. So we are in agreement with Burkhoff. Yes. We're with him. There's we're with he, him. There's Mike, there's Pat, there's Burkhoff, Louis. Louis. And Louis, when we're two or three, or, never mind, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> not going there. This is not a, a show about how to, how to interpret the Bible poorly. Right. We're not going there. <laughs> Burkhoff. Now, Mike, let's, let, let's pose this question. So we know what the incarnation is, generally speaking. We're, we're going to do a deeper dive in just a little bit. But who affirms the incarnation? Ooh, who is, affirms is this it? like a universal thing? Only special kind of uh, pactum Christians affirm this kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> only Calvinists. Or, or, or who affirms the incarnation? I, well, I think it's universally confessed. Yeah. I, th- I think it's universally right. confessed. And for fact, sure, we actually know that it's universally confessed because, as in agreed upon, one of the very earliest confessions of the church, right. 1 Timothy 3.16, inscripturates it. It writes it down. Uh, but it, this is something that Christians were saying. This is something that Christians memorized and agreed to. This is like ABCs, one, two, threes of the faith. 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed we confess. Hmm. Great indeed is something we all agree to as Christians. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And here it is, number one on the list, if you will. He was manifested in the flesh. Yeah, that's incarnation. Incarnation talk. So, and, and we'll work our way through that in this series called Gospel Doctrines yeah, because yeah. there's a whole lot else packed in yes, First Timothy 3.16. But let's start by acknowledging that the incarnation of Jesus is a universal standard of orthodoxy. Yeah. All, right. all Christians, we would want to say, believe in the incarnation of right. Jesus. Um, not all of us understand it well. Sure. Yeah. Um, but we're working on getting better at understanding the incarnation. But it, this is a common Christian doctrine. We wouldn't even have the gospel if we didn't have it. Right. Yeah. Speaking of confessing, um, our confession that we affirm here at the church talks a fair amount about this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Feeling like reading it over there, Mike? Yeah, you, I'll read this. Yeah, from the Second London Baptist Confession. It says, The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, Take upon him man's nature. There's incarnation. And it goes on to say, with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it, yet without sin. 
being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion." which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Ooh. Wow. I think we should probably close the service I prayer. just was going to say that. <laughs> We're good. We're done. We would confess that as well. Yeah. So we'll, we'll confess both of those things. And, you know, just to point out the fact that we're, you know, very um, accommodating and well-balanced, we have referenced the Westminster Confession. We have, yeah. For, for those listeners of yes. the factum. Yep. And we also, being the ecumenical group that we are, <laughs> tried to make sure we, we covered the credo aspects of things. Right, yeah. We, we, wanna, we didn't get it all. Because we all confess this great doctrine. Yes, we as do. As a matter of fact. Right. But I think we should probably wade into some other waters. Yes, now. we should. You see uh, what I just did there? I, t- <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have caught it if you didn't say it. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Low line. A little fruit. slow on the uptake today. Okay. So, uh, would there have been an incarnation if Adam had not disobeyed? So, we're what? saying if Adam had obeyed. Would Jesus have come? Would there have been an incarnation? Is this from a Pactum listener, or who comes up with these kind of crazy questions? I couldn't say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If there was no sin, if there was no disobedience, would there be an incarnation? And uh, the answer is no, if Turretin's right. If Turretin's right, it's not. And I think we're going to go ahead and say that we think Turretin's right. So, so. yeah, apart from sin, if there there hadn't been sin, violation of God's command, uh, God's law, then we wouldn't need an incarnation because right. yeah. uh, it's it comes you know Genesis three it's after the fall the, the gospel promise is made so that's how how we're going to take it there have been those in church history who have said there ha- there would have to be an incarnation no matter what mm-hmm. o- Osiander who was not altogether orthodox in other areas right right uh, the Socinians who were heretics yes uh, right. they insisted on this probably in part because. Uh, they denied basic gospel doctrines right, regarding yeah. the substitutionary atonement of Christ and those things. So generally speaking, if we're going to side with Turretin and 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 company, mm-hmm. yeah, there wouldn't be a need for it. So, um, so what took so long? Yeah, <laughs> you're on to asking the next question. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so what took so long? I I actually like that question. I hadn't thought about it much until it's an interesting I was question to consider, right? Reading Turretin, so you have all these years, thousands of years. And then the incarnation happens, occurs, or however we should say that. So from Genesis 3, we have the promise, and then so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and all the death and all of the things and redemptive history. Augustine says this, the greater the judge approaching, the longer the line of heralds preceded. Ooh. Just let kind of let that one soak in. Yeah. Right. So the the, the greater the judge, or maybe even think royalty or king, sure, or someone sure. dignified. The greater the person is, the longer the line of heralds preceded. So, you know, the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. Right. Someone's important is coming. Send another person. Make sure the people are getting ready. Send another person because they need to speed it up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Send another person because make sure, make sure, make sure you're ready. I thought that was kind of an uh, engaging, thought provoking quotation from yeah. from Augustine. Yeah. Yeah, that is really is. 
It's interesting to think about. Turton says, the way be prepared not only by various types. Okay, so we do have all the types that are in anticipation. So to understand and appreciate and see Mm. Jesus as the great prophet, the great priest, the great king that he is, well, those things, those offices wouldn't make that much sense if there had never been any. Sure. Sure. So there's that. We also have tabernacle. We have temple. We have Israel as the servant. Yeah. Those kinds of things, all of the, those types are in preparation to set the stage. So I like that question. Yeah. Well, what took so long? What took so long, right? Yeah. Well, it's all part of the great plan to put all of the pieces in place and then just at the right time. Right, yeah. In Galatians, the wisdom yeah. of God, Galatians 4 is a wonderful answer to the question. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, yeah. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Aha! Yeah. At just the, just right, the right time. time that perfect time is pregnant. And it's time to give birth, if you will, through the Virgin. So yeah. pretty cool to think about that. That really is, yeah. I, this this Christmas time, when I hear people reading Galatians 4, or when I draw attention to it or read it, I'm going to th- be thinking about this this reality of, why did it take so long? That's why it took so long. Yeah, for sure. So what happened at the Incarnation? So we've given, just kind of generally speaking, what the Incarnation is uh, in the flesh. Christ coming in the flesh, but what, what what exactly happened at the incarnation? I'm going to stick to kind of the the, the safety zone to begin with. <laughs> That's a good thing to and do. Just quote John one fourteen. <laughs> Go with the Bible here. The Word became flesh. What happened at the Incarnation? The Word became flesh. There you go. Let's end the episode. Maybe not say anymore. <laughs> Let's not go we would have been better off quoting that than we would have been quoting the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. So sure, yeah. At the Incarnation, the Word, the Eternal Word, became from chapter one, verse one, became flesh. The one who was before hmm. took on flesh. Yeah. And as Burkhoff and others would point out, the incarnation assumes pre-existence. Yes. Right? right. In light yeah. of John chapter one, the pre-existent one uh, took on flesh. Hmm. Uh, Stephen Wellam, in his helpful little book that we're going to recommend at the end of the program, uh, the, the basic introduction to the incarnation, which I think is qu- quite well done and up to date and careful. I've read most of it. I haven't read every single page, but I'm giving it an endorsement at this point in time. <laughs> says this, the son, without change or loss of his deity, added a second nature, namely a human nature. Hmm. Page 158 of his intro to Christology. Yeah. And to make sure everyone's well served, Louis Burkhoff says, <laughs> <laughs> when we are told that the word became flesh... This does not mean that the word ceased to be what he was before. Hmm. As to his essential being, the word was exactly the same before and after the incarnation. Hmm. He remained the infinite and unchangeable son of God. The statement that the word became flesh does not mean that he took on uh, on a human person, nor on the other hand, merely that he took on a human body. Hmm. Uh, the word flesh here denotes human nature consisting of body and soul. Hmm. And no doubt Burkhoff didn't come to that conclusion based on word study alone, uh, but on the breadth of scripture and in light of the debates, in light of the blood, sweat, and tears shed, trying to formulate this doctrine, uh, took on flesh. He took on, he added human nature, if you will. Hmm. 
So we've got to keep these things in mind. We have the one person who is truly man in, in the incarnate one. We have the one person who is truly man and truly God. Yes. A divine nature and a human nature. Right. Right? Yes, for sure. So not fully God and fully man, according to R.C. Sproul. It's better to say truly, truly. and truly. truly. So we're yeah. going to go with – we're, we're, we're going to phone a friend and, and tap into R.C. Sproul and yep. say he's truly man and he is truly God. Yes. So – Sometimes it might be helpful when we're talking about these things uh, to even then think, so what didn't happen? Pactum listeners, Mike Grimes, always being the Eeyore on the Pactum, always being negative. <laughs> sort of the negative side. Positively what did happen, yes, but what didn't happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is really important. Yeah, because it helps you kind of understand it even more because I, I wanted to jump ahead several times while you're reading some of those quotes. So what didn't happen? Okay. What didn't happen, he didn't empty himself of all but love. Yes, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We've. I think. I think this is legal because it's public domain. Okay. We sing because of love. So when Mike Grimes first came uh, and, and joined me on this pastoral staff adventure of ours, uh, I think I suggested that we change it, and you you, you weren't going to do it. I yeah, that's. I because think it, it stressed me out. It was going to be like a violation of law. <laughs> and and Mike has gotten over his uh, neonomianism. <laughs> And maybe he's a compromiser now. But I don't know. We we do. How do we sing it? Emptied himself because of love. He emptied himself because of love. I think that's what we say. I think we do too. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty happy. That's yeah. So it's well, not all but love. He didn't <laughs> empty himself of all but. He love. didn't empty himself of. So what didn't happen in the incarnation? He did not empty himself of all but love. That's called kenoticism. Kenoticism. Yeah. And kenoticism from the kenosis, so from the Greek word. Um, Kenoticism, according to Wellam, is the divine son either temporarily or permanently divested himself of his attributes, such as omniscience, omnipotence, and omniscience. So why why would it be a problem for for well if God Jesus were to stop being omnipresent, well, then he's not God anymore. So if Jesus comes incarnate in the flesh and he ceases to have these attributes or ceases to have uh, divine attributes. He's yes. no longer God. And not only that, he changed. Right. right? He changed. God, yeah. by definition, doesn't change. So yeah. we don't want to be canonic. Yeah, we don't want to be canonic. We want to believe in the kenosis. Kenosis, yes, but not. And canonic. Yes. That's right. For so, sure. so what didn't happen, he didn't empty himself of all but love. It's amazing how music teaches heresy. I think, so I think it was, who taught heresy through jingles? Hmm. Ari- I think Arius had jingles. Oh, really? If, if memory okay, serves. okay, yeah, yeah. Music is powerful. Music is very powerful. That's why it's such an important thing in the church because that's where a lot of people learn their theology. Yep. So amazing to think about that. Yep. Uh, another thing that didn't happen is he did not cease to sustain and govern all things, even in his incarnation. Hmm. Even in the incarnation, the one who sustains, the one who governs all, he he still was doing all of those things. Yes. Which is, let's let's face it. These are these are great mysteries to us yes, as to I, how these things happen. Mm-hmm. And yet, what we want to do is look at the biblical data, and we're going to organize the biblical data in light of the biblical data, uh, without contradiction, uh, but looking for consistency. So he was still upholding all things. He didn't stop doing it right. because if he did, then 
it would have all came crashing down. It would be impossible for him to stop because right. he never stopped being God. Right. Yeah. In addition, he didn't become the son at the incarnation. He is the eternal son. Uh, the passages that talk about today, I have begotten you. If you look a little closer at any of those, whether it's Psalm 2 or Romans or Hebrews, it's not talking about the birth narrative. It's not talking about the incarnation. Right. Uh, he is the son. Uh, he's always been the son, yeah. always will be the son. And the son became incarnate. Yes. He became a human being. Right. In addition, he did not become two persons. Right. That's called Nestorianism. Nestorianism. Uh-huh. So we don't want to be Nestorian that he became two persons. He is one person with two natures. natures. Right. Earlier, Mike, when you read from the confession, it was real clear on this matter. He is one person, two natures. There's a divine nature and there is a human nature. He's truly divine. He is truly human. Yes. Maybe one more thing. He did not have his human nature eclipsed by the divine nature. Mm. Guess what that's called? What is that one called? That's called Eutychianism. Eutychianism. <laughs> According to Eutychianism, instead of being one person with two natures, that's Orthodox Christology, Christ is one person with one nature. Hmm. So we, we, we don't want that. Yeah, we don't want to have any of that. <laughs> I think I, think I said is, one more, but there's actually... One more thing. That one more after that. Didn't yeah. happen, at least on our short little list of the episode on the on the episode today. He did not receive a new kind of human nature. Hmm. So like a different kind of human nature. It, that it didn't come down from heaven. It wasn't it, some it, like it, falling it, nature coming down. No, and according to Burkhoff, that's actually what that was the prevailing Anabaptist view. Okay. So sorry to offend you if you come from an Anabaptist tradition. Some might say that we do. We would say Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Burkhoff says the prevailing opinion among the Anabaptists was that the Lord brought his human nature from heaven, mm. which doesn't uh, fit with the fact that it's Mary and right. human nature. Right, right, right. All the statements about humanity. He's identifying with us. He's he's not fallen, but he's he's identifying with the fallen human race. Right. Uh, he doesn't come from some other kind of race when it comes to humanity. For sure. Yeah. So a lot of talk about the nature, the two natures of Christ, mm -hmm. human mm -hmm. nature and the divine person, nature. Two natures. One person, two Let's natures. say it enough times, it just rolls off our yeah. tongues. One person, two natures. So why is it then, why did Jesus need to be human and divine? I think this is this, this actually is not an easy question to answer for me personally. Maybe I just haven't thought it through enough. I affirm it to be true, mm -hmm. but I've, I've always been looking for a brief, short statement that just really nails it and explains it. Um, Pactum listeners, if you have such a statement, send it our way. I'm open to the idea. I'm open to the idea. But in the meantime, I think we probably should tap our good friend. Francis, Francis Turretin. Turretin, of course. And Turretin, Turretin actually gives a super long answer to uh -huh. this. Yeah. Imagine that, Francis Turretin. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not do the whole thing, but let's at least give, give listeners a flavor of Turretin. When he's answering the question, why does Jesus need to be truly human and truly divine? Yeah. He says, the work of redemption could not have been performed except by a God-man, associating by incarnation the human nature with the divine by an indissoluble 
bond. For since to redeem us, two things were most especially required, the acquisition of salvation and the application of the same, the endurance of death for satisfaction and victory over the same for the enjoyment of life. Our mediator ought to be God-man to accomplish these things. Man to suffer, God to overcome. Man to receive the punishment we deserved, God to endure and drink it to the dregs. Man to acquire salvation for us by dying, God to apply it to us by overcoming. Man to become ours by the assumption of flesh, God to make us like himself by the bestowal of the Spirit. This neither a mere man nor God alone could do. For neither could God alone be subject to death, nor could man alone conquer it. Man alone could die for men— God alone could vanquish death. Both natures, therefore, should be associated, that in both conjoined, both the highest weakness of humanity might exert itself for suffering, and the highest power and majesty of the divinity might exert itself for the victory. I think maybe my favorite part that really stood out to me as you're reading that, Mike, for neither could God alone be subject to death, nor could man alone conquer it. Hmm. Yeah. I thought that that was really good. Yeah. It's fascinating. Lots more yeah. from good old Francis. Yeah, he's got a lot to say. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I, I, I find Turton's format actually really nice. It really as far is. As the, the question, the question and, answer. and answer thing. Yeah. This we affirm, this we deny. I, I really like it, but be, then I get real confident and think I'm going to read a whole bunch of Turton. And it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Shall we read the next section? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's in the notes, but I think we're just going to go a ahead lot. It is a and, lot. And, and move on. At this point in time, Mike, you know, doing some research, doing some study, trying to be careful, trying to read the right books. Um, it causes me to say, I, I, I've got all, maybe I'm, I almost have more questions now that I have answers. Sure. Yeah. And I have I think more questions. Yeah. So if you're listening and you think, Okay, the episode is coming to a close. You guys are about at 10 or so questions. What if I have more questions? Guess what? So do I. So we all do. <laughs> we all have more questions. And, and that's why, again, Turretin for the win, he says, this surpasses, this, this reality surpasses all miracles and all measures of intelligence. Hey, and I have a very small measure of intelligence, so of course I have more questions. <laughs> so I, I like to be able to, you know, say, oh, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, so we are, and no, nobody can make this stuff up. No. Right? No. Yeah. The, the heretics try to make it all smoothed out and easy with no questions left over whatsoever. Um, we're, we're at a place where we're saying, okay, I understand this is, we need to say one person, two natures for good reason. In light of the biblical data, he, he truly is human. He truly is divine, not all mixed together, not 50, 50, right. but at the same time, I, I, I think I, I have no point of comparison. You're right. Yeah. I, if somebody raises their hand and says, oh, says, says to me, oh, I have a good illustration yeah, of right. that, I'm going to go, mm. sorry, back of the class, <laughs> <Save> pal. <it>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's one of the reasons we worship him. Yeah, um, for sure. Because he is divine. Yes, he mm-hmm. is. So maybe some helpful resources for our listeners. We've yeah. mentioned Burkoff. Yeah, Lewis Burkoff's Systematic Theology is is a good one. Yes. Um, and again, if you want to go older than Burkoff, a little bit more complex, Francis Turretin and his three-volume 
Is it three volumes? It's three volumes. Okay. Uh, Institutes of Elenctic Theology. Good job saying that, by the way. Boom. I practiced uh-huh. in my head before I said it. I try to be extra <laughs> spiritual because I actually have the hard copies, but I also have it, you know, on yeah. my computer. So there, there is I have that. the three hard copies mm-hmm. and they're just, they look good on a shelf too. That's true. That's and true. then people want to know what that word is. And I always say, I have to look it up again. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so check out Turretin. Check out Burkoff, who's yep. going to be more easily accessed. Mm-hmm. And then this new little book put out by Crossway in the Crossway series. I thought the one, the volume on the Trinity was excellent. Um, and now there, there is one by Stephen Wellam, and it's called The Person of Christ and Introduction. Yep. And uh, it's really quite helpful. He has a good index in the back with some good definitions. Uh, he's trying to hold your hand and walk you through the scriptural data, but also taking into account the creeds and the confessions um, and, and helping you to, to maneuver so as to not, not reinvent the wheel right, and yeah. hopefully guard against some errors. Again, the errors are easy. I'm, I'm not sure which errors we've committed today. We've tried to not do Eutychianism and canonicism and those none. kinds of things. Yes. But uh, it is it is challenging to to understand these things. Yes, it's sure. not challenging to the Lord, um, but it's challenging for us to get our minds around how these things can be. But we praise the Lord for it. It's no wonder that we would conclude the right thing to the degree that we conclude the right thing, and uh, we would hear a blessing from the Lord because we don't figure this stuff out on our own. It's based right. upon special revelation, scriptural revelation. Yep, for sure. We want to thank you for being a part of the Pactum Verse. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find more information uh, and some resources on our website, thepactum.org. You can find us on X at the Pactum. You can find us on Instagram at the Pactum Theology. You can also email us, connect at thepactum.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Pactum. Mm-hmm.